Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I like to take my coffee, black and piping hot, out on the porch every morning. I sit in my old rocker with my best friend Rustler, a Great Dane. The fog is usually settled in like a blanket over the field across from my home. It keeps me from seeing too far beyond my stoop, but I kinda like that. It keeps my thoughts nearby, doesn't let them wander out into the great unknown. I like to keep my world small and only focus on what I can control. Some days, I feel like the fog is a divine gift sent to help me do that. They harvested the field a few weeks ago, and now it's just an open space full of brittle cornstalk remains. I observed just the other day that those little broken stalks look like tiny grave markers for the plants that used to grow there. Is that funny? I can't tell anymore. I've lived alone for so long, I've lost touch with what makes someone laugh these days. I'm not usually one to have such silly, morbid thoughts as a cornstalk cemetery, but I had a strange experience recently that I'd like to tell you about. It was a sort of brush with death. Not mine, thankfully, but an encounter with the world beyond ours, no less. It started with the scene I've already described. Me... Steaming mug in hand, out in my rocker, Russell at my feet, staring into the foggy field. It was a particularly humid morning, so the fog had some extra weight to it. It hung real low over the field. I couldn't even see the tops of the dead stalks. I had just taken a long sip of coffee, and when I lowered my mug, I saw Russell had jumped up to his feet and was pointed stiffly at the field. I had to squint to see why. He had detected a man out there. The fog disguised his features, so all I could make out was a dark silhouette. He was moving, but he was so far away and so engulfed in fog, I couldn't tell which way he was walking. Is he all right, boy? I asked Russell. He tilted his head back slightly to tell me he heard me, but remained dead focused on the man in the mist. I couldn't imagine any reason someone might be out in the field, especially so early in the morning. I was curious to know what he was doing way out there, so I stayed and watched, even after I finished my coffee. After maybe ten minutes or so, I could finally tell which way the man was headed. He was walking straight toward me, but without any real purpose. He took slow, uneven steps and stopped every few feet. During those ten minutes, I don't think he traveled more than fifty yards. 
The fog began to lift as the sun gained position above. I was glad. The man in the field seemed lost. I hoped he would see my house and maybe be able to orient himself. You know, some folks would probably be nervous about a stranger wandering alone through a foggy field, but not me. I'm willing to give people a chance before I judge them by their circumstances. Lord knows I've been given some chances in life I wouldn't have made it this far without. I thought, whatever trouble has led this man to his current situation, we would get it sorted out one way or another. But when the fog lifted, the man vanished. He slowly evaporated until there was nothing left but the empty field. There was nowhere out there for him to hide. I could see for a mile in every direction. He had disappeared, plain and simple. Russell finally turned to me, looking confused and upset. Maybe he was just reflecting what he sensed in me. Now, I don't spook easy, but I went right inside and locked the doors after that. I'll give a living, breathing person every chance to explain themselves, but I'm not one to mess around with spirits. And I could think of no explanation for how the man had disappeared unless he was, I still have trouble saying it aloud, a ghost. I didn't get through that day too easily. I found myself wishing I didn't live alone. I thought about jumping in my old Chevy and heading to town for a while, being around some other people, speaking with them. Seeing their smiles sounded comforting. But even as I grabbed my keys off their hook, I thought it would be too hard to come back. I knew I would be scared of what was waiting for me at home. I decided it would be better to hold down the fort and see what happened. So, what happened, you might ask? Well, nothing, to be honest. Besides my heightened alertness, it turned out to be a day as ordinary as any. To my surprise, I even managed to fall asleep without too much trouble. I repeated the same routine the next morning, brewed the coffee, stepped outside, looked into the fog, and there he was. I didn't have to wait for the man to appear this time, he was already there, once more walking in my direction. I was pretty sure he couldn't see me or I would have went right back inside. I didn't know if ghosts could see at all. I hoped I wouldn't get a chance to ask one. Is that funny? The man had appeared in about the same spot he had vanished from the day before. It was from that spot that he continued toward me. I kept one eye on him and the other on the sun, praying it would hurry up and climb the sky and banish the fog. I didn't want the man to get much closer, but he would. This pattern repeated the next day. The man started from the place he'd disappeared from the day before. I became more anxious the closer he got. I tried waving to him and even calling out with a friendly hello, but he didn't respond to either greeting. By the third day, he had almost reached the road. I wondered, would he cross it? The question remained on my mind as I drew the covers up to my neck that night. I usually tossed everything but my thin sheet aside when I slept but something was making me feel cold and vulnerable that night. I reverted to childhood delusions of the bed cover's protective properties. I had almost drifted off when I thought I heard something thump against my front door. I might have thought I'd imagined it if Russell hadn't jumped up and charged toward the bedroom door. He stood there, 
growling softly and ready for anything. Seconds later, the front doorknob rattled. I certainly wasn't expecting company, and no one I'm acquainted with knows where I live, I don't think. That didn't leave many options for who might be at my door, and all of them were terrifying. Now, this should stay between us, but I keep a loaded 38 in the top drawer of my nightstand under a pile of socks. I don't want to shoot anybody, but I'm realistic about the dangers of living alone out in the country, even with a big dog like Russell. I grabbed the gun and joined Russell by the bedroom door. Together, we listened. The doorknob continued to rattle sporadically. Whoever was out there wasn't bothering to knock. They must have known I wouldn't let them in by choice. A few minutes passed after the last rattle, and I thought the would-be intruder might have given up. I told Russell to stay close and opened the bedroom door. Russell's a great dog, but not necessarily a great listener. He charged through the house the moment that door left its frame. I heard his paws clicking frantically on the wood down the hall, through the kitchen, and into the entryway. I felt my way through the dark, following him to the front door. Unfortunately, it was too dark outside to see anything through the peephole. To know if I was safe, I had to turn on the porch light. You'll keep me safe, boy? I asked Russell. He almost seemed to nod and looked at me with those deep, canine eyes that always seemed to say, I'll die for you if I have to. I suddenly wondered how far humanity would have made it without dogs. I certainly felt like I wouldn't have made it through the night without mine. I flipped on the porch light and shoved my grizzled face against the door. The peephole revealed an empty porch. No one stood within reach of the light outside. I felt comforted for a moment, but that feeling was quickly stolen as I realized whoever had shaken the doorknob must still be out there somewhere. I just couldn't see them. Russell must have had the same thought because he tore away from the entryway and ran back to the bedroom. He paused twice to listen and ended up next to my bedroom window at high alert. Well, he must have been onto something because when I got back to the bedroom, I heard a twig snap, a sure sign that someone or something was walking outside the house. We still weren't as alone as we should have been that night. I peeked through the blinds into the yard. The moon gave off enough light that I should have been able to see someone out there, but I only saw an empty, still yard. There wasn't even a breeze. Russell still maintained an alert posture, and I couldn't bring myself to relax yet, but I started to think the danger, if there ever had been any, had passed. I went to the kitchen to get a better view of the backyard. My only remaining fear was that someone would come back around the house and try the back door next but the backyard was empty too. Russell and I eventually fell back asleep on the couch. I kept my gun right next to my hand for the rest of the night. We woke up, safe and secure, when the sun cut through the living room window. The fog had settled in. It surrounded the house like a puffy wall. I beckoned for Russell to follow and went out onto the porch. I directed my eyes to the spot the man in the mist had vanished from the day before, but today... He didn't reappear. He had been so close to the house. I wondered if he had finally stepped out of the fog. With sudden regret and a touch of fear, I realized he might have been the person outside the night before. I couldn't imagine what he wanted from me, but now I thought I probably would never know. 
I went inside for some coffee, and when I returned to the porch, I saw another strange sight. Red and blue flashing lights in the fog ahead. Come on, Russ, I said. Let's go check it out. I think I'd like to get out of the house for a little while. We loaded up in my old Chevy and headed north in the direction of the lights. We had to drive slow due to the fog, but in a few minutes, we could see three police cars, a fire truck, and an ambulance off on a gravel road almost due north from my place. I drove up to them slowly, rolling down my window as I approached. A firefighter waved to me. I'm sorry, sir. You won't be able to get through this way, he said. Oh, that's all right. I just wanted to see what all the fuss is about. Ah, right, he replied, looking uncomfortable. I looked just past him. It was hard to see, but I managed to make out a car flipped upside down in the ditch. The firefighter followed my gaze and nodded. The driver? I asked. You know, it's the darndest thing. By all counts, he should be dead. I mean, we think he wrecked somewhere around four days ago. But he's alive? I asked. Sorta, the fireman replied, seemingly unsure exactly how to answer. I mean, he has a pulse, but he's totally unresponsive. Maybe it's some kind of coma. Hard to say until we get him to the hospital. Which hospital is he going to? I asked. The fireman gave me a somewhat suspicious look. You know this guy or something? He asked. Oh, no, I replied, suddenly feeling embarrassed. I'm old. I'm bored. I'm just curious, that's all. Now the fireman smiled. That's all right, he said. He's going to go to St. Paul's. It's closest. I'll pray he makes it, I said. After exchanging a couple more pleasantries, I left the fireman to his work and returned home. On the way, an idea struck me, but I had to hurry. The fog had nearly lifted by now. I gave the rising sun a sideways glance and whispered, You stay right there, Mr. Sun. Don't go any higher just yet. We pulled into my driveway and I got out as quickly as I could. Russell seemed to sense the urgency in my steps. He pranced by my side, fully alert as I walked around the house. My hunch had been correct. I found the man in the thinning fog behind the house. He was walking away now. It had been him trying the door the night before. I knew it. But he didn't mean me any harm. He was just lost. But I knew where he needed to go. Hey, I called out. To my surprise, the man stopped and turned toward me. I could make out his features now. He looked sad, even desperate. You're going the wrong way, I shouted to him. You gotta get to St. Paul's, the hospital. They just took you out of your car and they're taking you there. The man didn't reply. He didn't even nod, but I saw his expression shift slightly. Something hopeful brushed over his features and he turned around. He started taking steps in my direction again, almost running and then the last bits of fog faded away. Maybe a week later, I was listening to the radio as I did some housework. I had mostly tuned out the monotonous voices as they discussed foreign affairs, national debt, and such, but my ears perked up when I heard mention of St. Paul's. A local man is grateful to be alive after a harrowing 10-day ordeal, one voice said. Another voice picked up the story. That's right, Janine. Nathan Grove was involved in a single vehicle accident over a week ago. 
His vehicle was not located for four days. When a local resident called it in, first responders found Grove inside the car, alive but unresponsive. The medical team at St. Paul's thought he was brain dead. His family was struggling with the decision to keep him on life support when, seemingly out of nowhere, Grove woke up. He's still recovering from minor injuries, but it's expected to make a full recovery. I couldn't help but smile. The man in the mist had made it back to himself. I gave Russell a rewarding head scratch. We did it, boy. We did it. I still think about Nathan Grove, wonder where he's at and what he's up to, whenever I'm out on the porch staring into the fog. I wonder if he remembers me. Maybe he'll come see me. I could tell him about the night he haunted me. Now that would be funny, right? You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.